People in Jesus' day did not reject him because of a lack of evidence. They rejected him because of hardness of heart. And people today don't reject Jesus because of a lack of evidence. They reject Jesus because of hardness of heart. And I'm talking not just to people out there, I'm talking to us in the church when Jesus wants to do work in our lives. So often we say, no, Lord, don't do it. And it's not because of a lack of evidence of what he's done in our lives already. It's because of our hardness of heart. I think if we were honest with ourselves, some of us might have hearts like Pharaoh, who day after day, seeing miracle after miracle in Egypt, he continued to harden his heart. How many of us, if we were honest, have hearts like those ten spies that went with Joshua and Caleb into the promised land, who day after day had seen the hand of God at work, but when they went into the promised land, they saw giants and they trembled. And they refused to believe in the powerful work of God, so God let that generation die in the wilderness and raised up another generation who really believed in his name and his power. You see, our hearts are fickle. I don't know about your heart, but I know my heart. And I know that I can forget the truth in six seconds and believe a lie for six years. And the Bible tells us this is what our hearts are like. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And because of this, God has given us Scripture to rewire and rework our hearts and make us more like Him and remind us of the truth and remind us of His works in the past. But if we refuse to heed God's Word, we will also refuse to accept His Son. And we see that in this parable. The take-home message is this. If you don't believe in God's Word, you won't believe in God's Son. If you don't believe in God's Word, you won't believe in God's Son. Because all of the Scriptures point to Jesus. And I want to walk through this parable verse by verse. And I want to talk to you about embracing the Son. If we are really embracing the Son in our lives, we will do these three things that these Scriptures talk about this morning. And here is Here's thing number one. Embracing the Son means remembering our death. It means remembering our death. Look at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So there's a rich man and there's a poor man. And the rich man, it says, he was clothed in purple. And in that day, purple was this super expensive dye Uh, that was used for really expensive clothing. And the point of Jesus saying this is, this wasn't just a rich man, this was like a really, really wealthy man. It said he feasted sumptuously every day. I have no idea what that word means, maybe you do. Let me tell you what it means. It means he feasted with showing off, with showiness, okay? 
And it said he didn't just do that once a week or once a month or once a year. He did that every day. So immediately what comes to my mind is like those TV shows, those movies where people just go and shop at all those stores none of us can afford and go eat at those restaurants none of us can afford. And you sit there and you think, do these people work? Like, how do they have so much time? It's painting that type of picture of this man, the ultimate lavish living. And then there's a poor man. His name is Lazarus, and it's, it's not the other Lazarus. Uh, it, it's, it's a unique Lazarus here in this parable, and this is the only instance of a name being given to a character in the parables of Jesus. That's pretty interesting. And so why did Jesus do that here? Well, we're going to see later in the story why. But it does bring back memories of that other Lazarus, doesn't it? In John chapter 11, remember Jesus in the presence of many witnesses raised that other Lazarus from the dead, but still the Jewish leaders, they refused to embrace Jesus even when someone rose from the dead, right? So you see that close connection between these two passages, but this Lazarus is a very poor man and he's really down on his luck. It says he was covered with sores. That literally means covered with ulcers, And the dogs came and licked his sores. And these are not like golden retrievers, okay? This is not a comforting thing happening here. These are wild dogs coming, licking his sores, making him unclean. But when he died, he was carried to Abraham's side, which is a clear reference to heaven. When Lazarus died, he was immediately in heaven. And this is a reminder to us that when we see someone down and out, down on their luck, to not assume how they got there. We don't know how Lazarus got to this place. And when we see the homeless or those who are struggling to make ends meet, we should never assume that that person did something wrong to get there. We just don't know. What we do know is that Lazarus was a child of God and he's in heaven today. But even though the rich man was esteemed by many and probably had many friends and didn't want for anything, when he died, he was not carried to Abraham's side. He died without heavenly honors, even though he'd had many honors in his life. And we have to keep in mind here that Jesus is Jewish. And so Jesus is confronting his own people about an assumption that they often had during his life. You see, many Jewish people in Jesus' day made the mistake of believing that because they were descendants of Abraham, they would automatically go to heaven. But that is not what Jesus taught. It's similar to how we as Christians today, maybe you're born in a Christian family and you think your Christianity is more of a nationality than a relationship with Jesus and you just assume because you were born in a Christian family that you're going to heaven. Well, that's not true. That's not what Jesus taught. The Bible teaches us that children of Abraham are people from all nations who put their faith in Christ. Those are children of Abraham. Another Jewish man named Paul said the same. In Galatians 3, 7, he said, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith. Whoever puts their faith in Jesus is a child of Abraham. But clearly the rich man was not a true child of Abraham. Because it says that unlike the poor man, he's now in Hades. Uh, That word means hell. It's a term used to describe hell. It's the same term used when Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, hell, will not prevail against it. It's a place where the dead are gathered and await judgment. And it's where this rich man is. 
And it says that he's in torment. That word means torture. And so the feasting has stopped forever. Just as the poor man's pain has stopped forever. And this rich man, he provides an example for all of us to think about. Because the rich man did not think about his death until it was too late. When I was in seminary, uh, I was with some other young aspiring pastors and we would have pastors come and talk to us and uh, we knew for the most part we had no chance unless we got some help from some older pastors. So uh, this pastor came in one day, his name was Jeff Mannion, he was a wonderful man and he talked to us about the marathon of ministry and about uh, preaching and about just rhythms to develop in our lives if we were going to be able to make it and one of the rhythms he had really stuck with me. He said he always tried to keep someone near him in his life who was in the process of dying. He always wanted someone that he was communicating with and spending time with that was dying. And why is that? Well, it's because Jeff wanted to remember his death. Because even as a pastor, we can eat and drink and talk and plan as if we're never going to die. Just like all Christians can do that, right? And so we need to remember our death when we read a parable like this. I think we would all acknowledge that unless Christ returns, we're going to die. But so often, we don't live like that. We don't think like that. And this parable this morning is an opportunity to really reflect on that and take it to heart. There was a man named Solomon, and Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, which is just a wonderful book. It's not always the most encouraging book, but there's a lot of wisdom in it. And in Ecclesiastes 7.2, Solomon said this. He said, It's better to go to a funeral than a feast. For death is the destiny of every person, and the living should take this to heart. When you're at a funeral, this thing happens where you're sitting there, you're really forced to stop, and remember that someday people will be sitting at your funeral. And it causes you to reflect on that. It's almost this stopping point from us spending all that time scrolling on our phones and watching the news and dealing about the daily cares of life and funerals really stop us in our tracks, don't they? And we remember our death and that's a good thing. Another wise man named Moses, he wrote one psalm, Psalm 90. And in Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses said this, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we, when we number our days, it makes us wiser. And Solomon reminds us of that, and Moses reminds us of that, that death comes to us all. And so it's a good thing to remember our death. Here is point number two. Embracing the sun means responding today. Responding today. Look at verse 24. So the rich man, he is now in Hades, and he's talking to Abraham. And he calls out to Abraham, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so this rich man, he says, send Lazarus. And this is why Lazarus' name is significant. 
This wasn't a situation where uh, the rich man never even acknowledged Lazarus, never even talked to Lazarus. He knew Lazarus well enough to know his name. And yet he still refused to help him. And even in this man's scriptures, which are essentially our Old Testament, there was time after time where God commanded his people to care for the poor. But he'd neglected all that. And even in hell, he thinks of Lazarus as someone there to look after his wants, while in his lifetime, he never spared a thought for Lazarus's wants. Which shows us that even in hell, the heart remains unredeemed. He's in anguish. That word means terrible pain. This refers to physical and spiritual pain. He's in anguish in the flame. He's aware of his separation from God. That's the spiritual pain. And Abraham tells him there's a great chasm fixed. This chasm between heaven and hell is impassable forever. The rich man's former status meant nothing. The judgment is irrevocable. His state is final. And this is a reminder for us of what happens to the believer and unbeliever after death. I know it's not easy to hear, but it's the truth. And it's what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us that the believer, when they die, there's not a moment that they're not with the Lord. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and you are never alone again. And when you die, you are immediately in the presence and hands of the Lord. There's peace here in life, but in the next state, there's even greater peace, greater joy, no more tears. It's an amazing thing that our weakest moment, our death, our last breath, is followed by our greatest moment, being in the presence of our Lord. It's an amazing truth for believers. It's the hope that we have in Christ. But it's not the same for unbelievers. The moment an unbeliever passes away, someone who's never placed their faith in Christ, they're in torment physical and spiritual. And it's a final judgment. There's no suggestion here of any type of purgatory, any type of opportunity to change from that. And that's why Jesus warned the people of his day and he warned us while we still have breath to turn to Christ. And we will continue to warn you at Prairie Bible Church, turn to Christ. Because tomorrow's not promised for any of us. In Hebrews 3.15 it says this, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. What Paul's talking about there is when you hear the Gospel message. The Gospel message that we will tell you every week here at Prairie Bible Church. The Gospel is this. That a man named Jesus, from a little town called Nazareth, from a no-name family, he walked this earth. It's a historical reality. 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect and sinless life and he was unjustly put to death on a Roman cross. But because he was a perfect and sinless sacrifice, death could not hold him down. No, on the third day, he rose again. He appeared to eyewitnesses as proof of the resurrection. And then he ascended to heaven where all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. At this very moment, he is interceding at the right hand of God, praying for the saints, and someday, he's coming back. And here's the thing about his death on that cross. Even though he was judged a criminal by some in his day, he didn't die on that cross for anything he did. He was perfect. The gospel teaches us that he died on the cross because of what we did. Our sins nailed him to the tree. 
And that goes for all of us. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you can sit there and say, I'm a little better than this person, a little worse than this person. But the truth is, in the sight of a holy, just, and righteous God, none of us meets the standard, none but Jesus. And so we are all called to turn to Jesus in faith. And what that means is to turn toward that cross and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. I believe that you're the Lord, that you rose again on the third day. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord. And I'll tell you what, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be alone again. You'll have the Holy Spirit. And your sin will be reckoned to his account, dealt with forever by the perfect sinless sacrifice of Christ. His righteousness will be given to you. And so that when you come into the presence of God, it's no, le- it's no longer with your past, your sin. That's not how God sees you. He sees you robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done that allows us to go to Abraham's side someday. Not what we've done. That's the response God wants. And I'll tell you what, I would be so happy to lead you in that prayer this morning if you've never made that commitment. Pastor Craig would be so happy to do that. I think the worship band's coming up early. Yeah, I got a little bit, I got a little bit left. That's okay. They responded today. But I don't think that this is just mentioned for those who haven't embraced Christ. This also, this verse, Hebrews 3.15, it challenges us as believers. Because I don't know about you, but what I found in my own life is sometimes God wants to keep working on my heart and he wants to make me more like Jesus. But spiritual open heart surgery is painful. It's painful when God reaches in and wants to change things about us and it's easy for us to put our hands up and not let him do that. And I just want to encourage all of us to let him do that painful work in your life. When he challenges you, when he wants to make you more like him because the end of that is true righteousness, true peace, true joy in the Holy Spirit. Will we respond today to Jesus wanting to do that work in our lives? Embracing the Son means responding today. Here's the final point. Embracing the Son means receiving God's Word. And it's really all been building toward this. Look at verse 27. And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the rich man knows that his state is final, but he wants his brothers to be saved. And so he continues to ask Abraham to send this poor man Lazarus. And that's kind of amazing that the rich man still thinks he can use Lazarus. He has no jurisdiction over Lazarus anymore. But he's still trying to get Lazarus to go on his behalf and he wants his brothers warned because he knew that his brothers, like him, simply thought that they were secure from any post-mortem penalties by reason of their descent from Abraham. And like I said earlier, 
This is a warning also to us who would take the title of Christians as if it's just a fire insurance policy and not really be serious about a relationship with Jesus. Abraham responds by saying, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. That word hear means obey. And we need to remember the context of this parable. If you look a few verses earlier in Luke 16, 17, uh, Jesus had said, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. That is Jesus defending scripture, its uh, reliability, its inspiration. And Jesus defended scripture throughout his life. He defended scripture against additions, against subtractions, and against traditions. When they tried to add to the Sabbath, Jesus defended Scripture against that addition. When they tried to neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, Jesus defended Scripture against that subtraction. And when they tried to make the Word of God void for the sake of their traditions, Jesus defended Scripture against those traditions. You see, Jesus constantly lifted up Scripture, just like He's doing in this parable. But the rich man knows his brothers won't listen. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from the dead to them, they will repent. The rich man had ignored God's word during his life. He feared his brothers would do the same. And so Abraham responds by saying, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, their scriptures, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is clearly talking about his own resurrection there. And even when they had the scriptures, and rejected them. When Jesus rose from the dead, many still rejected Jesus. Many still doubted. And what Jesus is saying to us today is that you have the Scriptures. You have the evidence. And, and I want to be really clear on this point. The person who has the Bible and can read it and yet waits for more evidence from God will die in their sins unless they wake up. Because in Jesus' day, as he was doing miracles, as he was doing the things in Scripture that testified about him, when they came to him and sought a sign, he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. He was referring to his own resurrection. And so what Jesus is saying to us is we have Scripture. And Scripture is sufficient for faith in Christ. That's why Paul said to us in 2 Timothy, Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. I can't stress to you enough, read your Bible and do what it says. That's what Jesus is telling us here because the Scriptures all point to Him. We are being given a warning from beyond the grave. You see, that warning of Lazarus going back to the rich man's brothers was denied. They never got that warning. But the reader of this parable gets that warning. This is the only time in Scripture where you see an unbeliever's thoughts, actions, words after death. And I just want to encourage all of us to heed that warning if we're hardening our hearts toward the Lord. Jesus was speaking these words to the Pharisees. And it's easy for us when we see the Pharisees hardening their hearts to say, oh, those Pharisees, they didn't get it rather than looking at our own hearts. You see, the Pharisees could recite the Word of God, but they didn't really let it in. They didn't really let it change them. They knew the religious talk, just like so often we know the Christianese talk. They knew how to put on external appearances. 
but they didn't really let the Word of God change them. And let's not make that same mistake. As we get ready to close here, I want you to picture with me that God was sitting down at a table to do business with you. Can you imagine that? And God slides you an offer across the table. And here is his offer. You bring the weakness. He brings the strength. You bring your insecurity. He brings the identity. You bring the guilt. He brings the forgiveness. You bring the shame. He brings the dignity. That's God's offer to us in Christ. Will you embrace Christ and accept that wonderful offer? Or will will you refuse it?